Thank you. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Thank you, Peter, for leading us this morning in worship. Choir, you were about to start some toe-tapping up there a little bit. There was a little swaying and toe-tapping going on. I liked it. I am Matt Holmeyer. Uh, I am the replacement Matt for this morning. And so uh, I'm glad to be here while Matt and Meredith are on a Holy Land tour. And he texted this morning, said they're having the trip of a lifetime and they're praying for us. Um, and I'm very thankful to be preaching here this morning. Um, I am, uh, by day, I'm the Director of Ministry Connections for Truett Seminary and Baylor University. And uh, by afternoon and Sunday mornings, I, I'm here as the Interim Discipleship Pastor at First Baptist Church since April. And I'm very thankful to be here. Let me pray for us this morning as we enter into this time. God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the breath in our lungs. We thank you for our hearts beating, for the freedom and the ability to get up and be here today with brothers and sisters singing, praying together, sharpening one another, encouraging one another. Father, we acknowledge your spirit has preceded us and is here with us in this place. We ask that you are faithful to speak as we have need. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let me ask a question that will guide our discussion today. How can you be sure, how can we be sure of what we believe to be true? What assurities do we have of what we, we know or we believe to be sure? true? Assurance is the theme today as we continue our journey in 1 John that Matt has had us on for the last few weeks. I think most people, probably all people, wonder from time to time in their life, whoever they are, whatever they happen to believe, about the what-ifs of our beliefs. For Christians, we ask. How do we know we're living in God's will for our life? It's a continual question we come back to. On a more fundamental level, am I really saved? At times, perhaps most of us wonder, how do we know that we know that we know? On an even maybe more fundamental level, is God real? What if this that we have wrapped our lives around turns out to be wrong? We have these worries. And I think history teaches that most throughout history have asked these questions, and it's okay to ask these questions. We shouldn't shy away from these when they come, for if the stakes of the answers to these questions are eternity and our soul, not to mention our, our understanding of truth and that which we are living our life by, then it's natural. There are moments or seasons where we wonder and we need to be assured all over again that God is with us and we are with God. Socrates is credited with saying that the unexamined life is not worth living, and I think the same probably applies to our faith. We need to examine the truths we accept from time to time. You're going to get a break today from Mississippi stories, but we're going to uh, just trade those for South Texas stories, which are actually quite similar, just a slightly different accent. I grew up in a small town in South Texas named Kennedy, about an hour south of San Antonio. I was blessed to grow up with deep roots there. I was the fourth generation to grow up in that county and was surrounded by grandparents and aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles and cousins. And perhaps most particularly, I was blessed to have my grandpa, Papa, 
pick me up almost every day after school and to spend those hours from 3.30 to 6 or so and most every Saturday with he and my dad working on our family's small little ranch. And we fed cows and tended fences and it's South Texas so you, you spray and cut brush incessantly and doing whatever needed to be done that a small kid could help with there on our ranch. And Pawpaw's word was gospel for my life. Whatever Pawpaw said, if Pawpaw said it, it was true, and you just didn't question that. Now, I was like any kid. My kids are here today, and they've been known to talk back, and I know I did from time to time to my parents. I'm sure I looked askance at my teachers growing up quite often, but you didn't question Pawpaw, or at least I didn't. What Pawpaw said was gospel, and he was full of these quirky South Texas sayings and knowledge. You know, here in Central Texas, if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot to buy it, you'll have purple sage. But down in South Texas, we call it Sinisa. And Pawpaw believed that when the Sinisa's bloom was the only accurate way you could predict rain. And so he really rarely listened or took much credit in what was on KSAT 12 in San Antonio, but he took stock in Sinisa bloomment and thought there was one particularly on Graham Road in our neighborhood that was more accurate. He really put particular stock in the predictive powers of this particular bush on Graham Road, and so I did as well. If we were sitting in the yard on a clear night, as we often did in the summer, they lived a block from us, and there was a circle around the moon, as there often is, he would say you have to count up the stars in that circle, and that's how you knew how many days from then it was going to rain. Now, in South Texas, it's rarely many, it's not going to rain very often, but I still count stars when they're circle around the moon on a clear summer night. One day when I was a little older, we were cutting my fence posts on a December day, a few days after the first freeze of the season. And we were near this mesquite tree, and we saw next to the tree next to us this wasp nest in December still full of wasps, which is a, a rare sighting. And Papa said, son, you know what? Uh, after a first freeze, wasps actually go dormant. And you can actually go pick that wasp nest off the tree, and you would not get stung. So why don't you go try it? <laughs> now this tested my faith in Pawpaw. It wasn't that I didn't believe him, but the consequences of Pawpaw being wrong threatened my absolute trust just a bit. I politely declined his offer to walk over to the mesquite tree with a wasp nest and test his theory, but Pawpaw was not to be deterred. Pawpaw believed in his theory and was eager to prove the veracity of his claim to his young grandson. I learned a great lesson that day. Pawpaw put down his axe, and he slowly walked over to the wasp's nest, and he gingerly, amazingly, plucked it from the branch on which it was hung and was promptly stung ten times. <laughs> This lesson impressed upon me the importance of putting our trust and faith and belief in the right things <laughs> and the need for assurance from time to time in what is truly true. It's the message of assurance and that which matters most in this life that John turns to in our scripture passage this morning. Matt's been preaching in 1 John for a few weeks, so if you've been here, you know uh, some of the context and content of this letter. But for those that, that haven't been here, let me recap it quickly. John is writing to what is most likely a warring church, a church that's having some problems. They've been misled by antichrists, by those opposed to the ways and teaching and person of Christ. They've been led to sin and behavior unbecoming those in the church. They've been experienced discord and disunity in their midst as a result. 
And John writes his letter in kind of a, a spiral argument. He doesn't make A, B, C, uh, linear progression of his thoughts. He makes his themes and his points, and then in kind of a spiral, he comes back to them as the letter progresses again and again. Love each other because God loves you. Abide in God, and God will abide in you. Remember what you have been taught. And by the fourth chapter of 1 John, we're on about, say, two and a half times through the spiral of his argument. And we're back to God's love, or more specifically, how we can be sure we abide in God's love. John signifies the turn of his theme with these four words in verse 13, if you have your Bibles with you. He says, by this we know. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Abide. It's a favorite word of John. Some of your translations might say dwell or live, but it means to remain. It means to remain secure where you are. It is the opposite of wandering. It is the antonym of being lost. John loves this phrase to describe what life with God and God's life with us is like. He says we are to abide, to rest to remain secure in God. It's more than just our confession. It's more than just our our belief. It is for all of our very self to be wrapped up in who God is and held secure in that, not just knowledge, but relationship. And John miraculously says, God also abides with us, which we'll get to in a minute. Up to this point, John has said that we should abide with God, and now he turns to tell us how we can be sure we abide. So to our question, how can we be sure of what we know, what we believe? John begins his answer in the second part of verse 13. We'll go through three points John gives us. First, John says, we know we abide with God because God has given us his spirit. Now, talk of the spirit can be a little anxiety-producing for us Baptists. You know, we, we've developed good teaching on God the Father. We're comfortable with it. We major on talking about God the Son and accepting Jesus. But as Baptists, we've often been unsure how to talk about the Spirit. On the one hand, the Spirit makes us just a little nervous, I think, many of us. The Spirit can't be controlled and in Most of us like to be in some form of control. The Spirit often works unpredictably, and and we like to know what is coming so we can be prepared and have a program that deals with it. Frankly, it's a lot easier to live by a prescribed set of laws or rules that are set and secure from time on end, and they don't change. The Spirit that we just cannot see or touch or put a leash on, that's can produce some anxiety within us at times. And of course, we've seen the Spirit be abused by those who claim to speak in His name and follow their own agendas. And we know in our lives, it's often so hard to discern between our own voice and our own will and the will of the Spirit. Often they do coincide and and sometimes they do not. And we know our own struggle to discern the Spirit's leading in our life, much less for our life together. So the Spirit makes us a little nervous. But on the other hand, church, let us hear what John says. God gives us the gift of His Spirit. We sit in awe of the revelation that God gifts us part of His very self. 
The same Spirit present over the waters of creation, the same Spirit that came in power on the prophets and enabled them to speak, the same Spirit poured out at Pentecost, the same Spirit in eternal triune communion with God the Father and God the Son, this same very full Spirit given to you and to me and to all who would call on the name of Christ to abide, to rest, to remain secure in our life and with us. This is one of the exceptional claims of John and of Christian faith through the centuries that no other religion dares claim. That not only do we believe, not only does God look after us, He gives His very self to dwell and abide within us. John writes, This is the first way we know we abide with God, that God has given us His Spirit. It is a seal of salvation. It is a bond of our relationship and enables us to live with God and for Christ in the here and now. We know we abide with God and God with us because God has given us part of Himself. Second, John says, we know what we believe is true because we see and we speak and we confess. John writes in 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world and that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. There's that word again. And he in God. I'm reminded of Jesus' words to his followers in many parables. Those who have ears to hear and eyes to see let them see, let them hear. When we accept Christ into our lives and abide with him and he with us, we gain new eyes, don't we? They're the same. Maybe we should say we gain redeemed eyes that see the same things differently and hear some of the same things we've always heard, but with new meaning and new depth and new vision. We have the same hands and we have the same feet, but they have new purpose to go about in our world. When we accept it is through our proclamation, through our testimony, through our experience with the risen Christ that the reality of God presses itself deeper and deeper and deeper into our lives. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have said with our very mouths, these things testify to us that we abide with God and God with us. Let me ask you, church, where have you experienced the living God at work in the world and in your life? We need no illustration for this other than our own experience. I mean, have you had an experience where you've met with God? Maybe it was one Sunday in this very sanctuary. Some of you are visiting here for the first time today. Many of you have been here since you were small children. Maybe it was right here. Maybe it was on your porch reading your Bible one morning. Maybe it was in playing with your grandkids. You sensed the presence of God in their joy and in their laughter. Maybe it was reading a wonderful book or working in your garden or sitting in a deer blind on a cold December morning. Where do you look back in your life and say, there I met with God. God has been with me thus far. I hope you can look and see stories and know of those experiences. 
Have you seen with your eyes and heard with your ears? And have you remember when your mouth has testified to what we believe to be true, that God has sent his son to be the savior of the world, and we have met him. We know him. He abides with us and we with him. John says our own experience with the living God gives us assurance. Third, John says we know because the Spirit has been given to us. We know by what we have seen and what we have said and what we have heard, and we know when we love others as God loves us. He alludes to it in 14 and 15, but says it straight out in verse 12. If we love one another, God abides with us and us in him. We know we abide with God when we love as God loves, when we do as God commands, when we take God's love and God's justice and God's mercy out into the world, making disciples of all people. John goes on to say, again, somewhat amazingly, that God's love is perfected among us. God's love is perfect, but it's perfected among us. Well, not only do we receive the gift of the Spirit, not only do we have our experience with God, but when we take that love out into the world, out to those who need it, out to those who are suffering, out to those who don't abide and rest secure with God, God's love is perfected among us when it has feet and it has voice and it has hands out into our world. And the result of this perfected love among us is assurance. John writes, it's that we may be confident in the day of judgment with such love. You see this multi-directional movement of God's love? That God has so loved us that he gives us his spirit and we so love God that we see him at work in the world and we hear him at work in the world and we voice his work in the world and love is returned to God and it spreads out God's love and our love combined out into the world for others. And with multi-directional love from God to us and from us to God and from God and us out into the world, God's plan for the world is accomplished. God's mission and kingdom goes forth on the actions and the utterances of little old us, and God's love among us is perfected. A critic or a cynic might be tempted to scoff at the evidence of assurance God gives. After all, John gives no reason outside of God's self and God's love that gives us proof, that gives us assurance. There's no verifiable, quantifiable facts. But John knows, and we know, though at times we need to be reminded that we know, that God's love needs nothing outside itself to prove itself. There's nothing outside of God's very self that can assure us of God's love for us. What in the world could that be that would be greater than God's word to us? There is nothing outside of God that will enable us to be assured of God's existence, much less that God loves us and that we are safe and secure in God's love. This is the inherent risk of faith. 
Nothing beyond God or outside of God can prove God. We are left to trust his word. We're left to trust what's been revealed to us in his word and through our experience and through the gift of the Spirit. We're left to trust God himself. And what we also trust is that the seeking heart will find God and that God will find the seeking heart. How can we be sure that we know what we believe? Church, do you trust the Spirit given into your life? Do you know it? Do you trust it? Sometimes it comes through our own common sense and intelligence and the natural gifts God has given us. Sometimes it is affirmed within us as we use the spiritual gifts God has given us in the world and our soul resonates with the soul of the divine. Sometimes it comes in still small whispers. But the Spirit is given and it is there. Do we trust it? Church, do you trust what you have seen and what you have heard of the living and active God on loose in the world? Do you trust your own confession of belief that led you to the waters of baptism and continues to lead you here today? Do you trust enough to love others in his name and dare in a world that doesn't always hear it to speak the name of Christ that is the hope for the world? If so, John says you may have assurance. Assurance of salvation, yes, but also assurance to live today as a free child of God no longer bound by sin, no longer bound by any, any expectation on your life other than to live as a loved child of God for him. Church, may we live assured that we abide with God and God abides with us. May we live powerful lives that witness to that reality. Let me pray for us. God, we continually stand of all when we're called back to it in your word. That you freely chose to give of your son so that we might live. And when we confess your son as the savior of the world, you give us part of your very self to abide with us. Help us to know how you are leading us to live for you. For those that, that can't stand on that assurance today, through your Spirit, God, work in their lives to know assurance is but a breath of confession away. May we be a church that mutually assures one another in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would, church. This is our time for each of us to respond to God. Some of you may have walked in here this morning, and, and this is new words to you.
Many of you have been in this place or others like it for decades, but each of us, every time we stand before the living God, are called to respond. May each respond today as the Spirit leads.